0: and it's only gonna get better, right? Because God's here, he's moving, he's about to talk class, it's a really good time, right? Cool, I want you just to acknowledge the band real briefly. I came to Rimmer at about 21 minutes past nine this morning and said, hey, Rimmer, we need to do an extra song this morning. And he's like, ooh, yeah, cool, cool. And like, he brought the band together and they rocked. So can you just give them a round of applause for everything they do? <laughs> We're gonna take up um, the offering in church um, pretty much now. Um, if you're a visitor here, Do not feel under any obligation to give. If you're a member of this church, then I hope you've been praying about what you're gonna give. You know, we've talked already a little bit this year about giving in church and talking to God about it and being faithful in what you sow. And I hope you're exercising in that. Um, On the screen, there's different ways you can give. I'm not twisting your arm, but come on, let's be Christians, let's actually get involved. That's real cool. Um, So those buckets are being passed across. I don't even know if anyone uses cash money anymore. Does anyone actually have cash money anymore? no thought so does anyone have checkbooks anymore really one person anyone else I remember when I was a kid and I'd go to church and every week my dad would get out the checkbook and he'd write a check to tithe of and I'm like man that must be what you do when you grow up and I grew up and they don't even have checkbooks anymore <laughs> wow gutted hey um it's so good to have you in church this morning if it's your first time you're just visiting with us um I just like we don't want to do anything scary to you, but I just invite you to chuck your hand up in the air. Someone's going to come around with a little welcome pack, with a, a thing for a free coffee and a little form to fill out, so you can um, we can get to know you better. So anyone new, chuck your hand up. I see those hands there. John is coming to help you out. That's cool. Um, we've got all sorts of stuff going on in church today. We've got. Um, Kids ministry is happening. So if you've got any little kids, there's Zone, which is just around the corner, which is like for really, really little kids, like little babies up to like five-year-olds. And then at the back, there's Ignite where parents need to go sign your kids in. That's primary age kids. Very shortly, Switch will go out that way, which is intermediate, Se- years seven, eight and nine. You guys can cruise that way. Um, and for everyone else, the chosen ones, we get to stay in here and be blessed. Sorry for everyone else. We've got the best bit of the church in here today. Um, is that right? Yes? I think it's good mean sweet so um, if you're in Switch year 7 8 or 9 or you're leading that particular part of church today you guys can stand up and head out that way out uh, to the Switch room you're going to have a good time today um, last week in Switch we initiated the new members of Switch the so year 7's who were previously year 6's and uh, we had this really cool game where it just like drops water on your head there's a little hat you put on you spin the swing around and pull a stick out and it just drops water on your head randomly and it was hilarious man absolutely hilarious. One kid ended up with warm water on his head, and he's like, what? It's warm. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, I've got to say, I don't know, I don't know about you. I, I, I hope that you've been praying, that you've been fasting or making space for God in your week this week, because that's what we've been doing as a church. But I'm really expecting for what God's doing here this morning. right and anyone anyone it? Yeah? Anyone's like... There's a few people like Stone's stone face, like not even expressing anything. Wake up. Come on. Wake up. Come along with the journey. We're incredibly privileged to be in the house of God this morning. It's not every day. This happens, right? Once a week. We get to come and we get to be in God's presence. We get to worship Him. We get to get together with our friends who also believe in God, and then we get inputted into by people who seek God, hear God, and then bring God's Word to us, right? And I know that when that happens, when we open ourselves up to that, then God can come in a move and He can change us for the better and He can shape us to be more like He wants us to be and that is a good thing. That's something to be desired. So I want you to open your hearts this morning. I'm gonna invite Trin to come and, and speak, but I'm gonna pray real quick and then Trin's gonna come. So I just want you to close your eyes where you are. No need to stand up. I know a few people are keen to stand up, but no need to stand up. We're just gonna pray. God, I thank you that you're here this morning, God. There's an undeniable um, touch of your presence in this place. God, I thank you that you have anointed Trin, Pastor Trin, to come and speak your word in this place this morning. And God, I pray that you'd find us open, ready to receive everything that you've got for us, Father God. God, that we would hear you, would feel you, and would be changed forever for the better because of you. In Jesus' name, amen. As Trin comes, why not you give a round of applause? It's so good.
1: Good morning, thank you guys. You can take a seat. How are we doing today? Good? Excellent. Weather's been a bit odd, hasn't it? I, I don't even feel like we had summer and it's already kind of going into winter. It's just been weird. In fact, it was so bad um, yesterday that um, Seth and Samuel and Celestia and Dylan decided they're going to go to the movies. So they wanted to go into Manukau. So I took them into Manukau and, and you know, because they're, you know, they're 12 and 13. So, you know, I wasn't allowed to actually be with them. So I dropped them off in the food court with instructions and then they went off to the movies with instructions, you know, because, but they thought I was going to come back to Pookie and then go back and get them. No, no, I wandered around the mall just in case, you know, kind of not quite ready to let them go. And And it was quite funny because on the way home we spent the whole trip. Now, you got to understand, there was traffic issues. So I'm talking like, it was like 50 minutes. It wasn't quite an hour, but it was about 50 minutes. And the whole way back, we talked about samurais and ninjas. And we talked about um, Spartans. And we talked about different forms of warriors. And we talked about the training they had to go through. I did not want to do this. When Seth was three, I had to learn all about the dinosaurs. Right. I had to know their names, their habitats, what they ate. I didn't want to have to do that. And I'm sitting there going, this isn't fair. Craig should be doing this. This is a guy thing. Um, But it was quite funny because what I kind of liked about it, though, was it wasn't just what they knew about it from watching stuff these boys had actually researched. They had actually found out historical stuff that they didn't just pick up off their PS4 games. They didn't just pick up off movies that they'd seen. And I love that because it tells me that there's a passion for history there, even if they didn't realize that's what they were doing. So for those of you who've been in our church long enough, you'll know that I love history. So of course, I'm, I'm gonna kind of teach you today. I have to, it's just it's, it's vitally important. So in First and 2 Kings, and First and Second Chronicles, and some of 1 and 2 Samuel, we actually get the history of Israel. We actually get all of the history laid out before us. What's interesting is it kind of really begins not so much with King David, but with King Solomon. Now Solomon was David's son, and we start off with him, and what happens in the history of, of Israel, if you read through those books, is that you have Solomon at the beginning, and Solomon was a divided man. He had times in his life when he walked with God, and those times are amazing. And from that, we actually get the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs was written when Solomon was walking with with God. But then there were also times in his life when he was completely away from God, when he was void of the presence of God in his life. And what we get from that is when he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. So you get these two vastly different books written from the same person. What is interesting about this is that if you read through it properly, you realize that Solomon was very divided. He had multiple opinions on the same thing. He also had uh, no way of knowing exactly what he stood for, what he believed in. And unfortunately for King Solomon, he actually ended his life away from God or not in the best position that he should have. The consequence of this is because he was king, he actually split the nation. Israel was split and became Israel and Judah. And that's why it can be a bit confusing when you start to read through the Kings and Chronicles and and all those books. Is because nine times out of ten, if you didn't realize there was a split, you kind of wonder what's going on in this kingdom because it kind of jumps around a bit. But that's what happened. What's really sad is that the nation had taken on the division that was Solomon's. They'd taken on the split that he had, the multiple opinions he had. That is what they took on. So in Israel, with with Israel, you have a whole lot of bad. They were evil. They were not good. And then with Judah, they weren't quite that bad because within Judah, you had pockets of people who were for God who remembered God, who maintained a relationship with God. So you had odd pockets of people who would do amazing, wonderful things and they become our heroes and that's what we read about. So what I wanna talk about is when Israel was in the bad. I wanna pick up when Israel was continuing Solomon's divisions and we have Elijah and he steps onto the scene and it's almost like he just like pops up out of nowhere and all of a sudden we have Elijah. Now he was a wild, crazy man. He was a man who encountered God in a way that was completely unprecedented for his time. He was a man who did things and performed miracles that completely blew people's mind. And so we have um, Elijah stepping in. So in 1 Kings 18 begins with Ahab. Now Ahab was the king at that time and he was evil. He was completely evil. So you have to think about how was the culture of that nation? What was their society like? What were their mindsets, the way that they thought about things? If the king is evil and the nation is evil, what do you think it was like? So you have everything being run in this godless place. What was worse was he was married to a woman called Jezebel. Now, it's quite interesting that I don't know anyone who has ever named their daughter Jezebel. <laughs> ever. I, don't, I don't know anyone. I kind of had a bit of a search, couldn't find anything, anyone on Facebook, so I figure worldwide there's probably no one. But that's because this woman was evil. In fact they say she was even more evil than Ahab. Now you need to think about it, these two appeared together. This is the leadership of your nation. How do you think that was looking? How do you think the common people were? How do you think they actually behaved? It's a really evil time. And it was heading in an even worse direction. And it's onto this scene that Elijah steps in. And Elijah comes in and he actually has this confrontation. And he comes in and he actually meets with a guy called Obadiah. Now, this is not the prophet Obadiah, okay? This is just a guy who happened to be in the king's court. Not only that, he actually had a little bit of influence over Ahab. Now, you might be thinking... He's probably a fairly evil guy because if he's friends with the king or had influence with the king, he knew all the evil stuff that was going on. The thing that I love about Obadiah, and he kinda doesn't get mentioned a lot, is he was a double agent. He actually managed, when Jezebel was going on her, let's destroy all the prophets of God, he actually managed to find 100 prophets and he hid them away in a cave. And this is pretty awesome, so anyway, he manages somehow to run into Elijah and he says to Elijah, you need to come. And Elijah's like, I'm not going. He goes, he goes you go back. And Elijah says to him, Obadiah, you go back and you tell Ahab to meet me here. And Obadiah's like, I'm not doing that because I know what happens. If you read through the beginning of those early chapters in Kings, what happens is, is you have Elijah pops up here so people go to see him there and he's gone again and he pops up somewhere else. I don't know whether he was teleporting or what was going on, but he was never where he was supposed to be and was never where people said he was, even though he had just been there. And Obadiah's like, forget it, I'm not going to Ahab because if Ahab comes and you're not there, he's gonna kill me. So he's just like, forget it. He also says to him, I'm also the guy that's just hidden a hundred prophets of, of God. If they find out I've done that, they're gonna kill me. So in the end, Elijah agrees. He says, you know what? I'll go to Ahab myself. And Obadiah's like, phew, you know, this this is good. So we're going to pick it up in verse 17. And he says, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, and Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? That's how you want to be known. You want to be known to the people of this world as a troubler. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals and now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who sit at, who eat at Jezebel's table so Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel and Elijah came to the people and he said How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But of Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. This is actually not quite accurate. He wasn't the only prophet left. He'd just heard moments ago, or if not within a few days, that Obadiah has actually hidden 100 prophets of God. So he's actually not alone. And later on we find out when he's whinging and moaning at God and God says to him, I have hidden thousands away. So he's not alone. But I want us to, to look at this slightly differently. It wasn't that he knew he was alone, it was that he felt that he was alone. He felt that he was isolated. He felt that he was by himself. He felt that there was no one else there. And you know what? When you're in that position and you do what Elijah did, do you know what? That speaks of your bravery. That speaks of courage. Because here he is thinking he's all alone. And then he does something that most people, when they feel alone and feel isolated, do not do. Do you know what he did? He took on the demonic stronghold over a nation. He rose up and he spoke out. Now what happens roughly between verse 23 and and verse 29 is this, we have a contest. How many people know that guys like contests? Yeah? If you read through the Bible, there are multiple different contests that happen. So Elijah comes to them and he says, guys, we're going to have a contest. We're just going to settle this. We're not going to drag it out. It's just going to be you guys and it's going to be me, one-on-ones, one-out, just the two of us kind of scenario. So they agree, they go, yeah, we can do this. So the whole idea is that they're supposed to build an altar and then they're supposed to call down fire. So whoever God answers is the God that rules. And that's what Elijah says to them. He says, I'll tell you what, if your God answers, then everybody, including myself, is gonna worship Baal. And they're like, yeah, this sounds good. And then Elijah goes, but if your God doesn't answer and my God does answer, then you guys have all gotta say that my God is the only God the guys thought this through simple contest can't really cheat yeah we can do this so they agreed to this now you need to think this through they built their altar and then for the next six hours roughly six hours they began to scream and they began to yell and they began to cut themselves with knives with swords with stones and as they're cutting themselves and they're calling out to their God, they're calling out to Baal to come and answer them with fire, they're just sacrificing things they're right, and center. Can you imagine what that looked like? It was a bloody, pagan worship. It was something that we actually probably wouldn't be able to stomach too well. We're quite happy to look at violent things on screens or on games because we know that it's not real. But when you're confronted with something like that in the, in the flesh and in the reality, it's really gruesome. And as these guys kept dancing and as they were calling out to their God and as they were bleeding everywhere, Elijah begins to mock them. Seriously, he's mocking them. He begins to say things to them like, Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you should call out. Maybe he's gone to the bathroom. And that's actually what he says. If you read the story, he says that. He said maybe he doesn't have enough fiber in his diet. He's sitting on the toilet. You're going to have to keep getting louder, boys. And it's, he's just mocking these people. Another dimension to this, which I think is quite interesting, is that he says he, um, it's not beyond the rounds of possibility that maybe, maybe they could have answered you see, when Moses confronted the magicians and the sorcerers, they were able to answer a couple of his challenges. So something could have happened. So here's this extra pressure sitting there. But Elijah doesn't care. He still mocks them. So as these, these prophets of Baal are worshipping and they're calling out to their God and they're cutting themselves and they're dancing, when you're dancing and you're cut, blood just flows even more. It was a messy, ugly place to be. And it goes on. Finally, now I don't know if they were exhausted or if they completely bled out, but after six hours, they stopped. Okay, and we're going to pick it up at verse 29. Then, and when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I love that. No one paid attention. Wouldn't you love to see the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter feed for that day? (laughs) All the people would be like, well, this is dumb. Nothing's happening. They've just stood there for six hours. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. And it goes on a bit further, and then he begins to call down fire. And he, God answers. And verse 38 says, And then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal and do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and he executed them there. There are two things I wanna talk to you about today. The first one is how long will you falter between two opinions? This wasn't a flippant comment he wasn't being snarky with them he was serious how long will you falter between these two opinions we know historically that Solomon was split and so the nation took on that division how do you get to the place in life where you are split where you have multiple opinions about the same thing how do you get to the point in life where something is challenged and we split our understanding we split what God says about it what was being challenged here? What was being challenged with Elijah? Who was God? This wasn't some light thing. This wasn't something that happened just momentarily. This was a deliberate thing that happened to this nation. Who was God? And they were split on it. You see, if you are off one degree now, you will be off many degrees later on. The reason for why they split is really, really simple. And this is something that we need to be aware of because this happens to Christians all the time and how we get split. Do you know how you get multiple opinions on the same thing? It's disobedience. Disobedience to God, disobedience to His Word, disobedience to the Lord is actually introduces us to the slippery slope of human reasoning. It's a trap. Human reasoning is a trap. When it is not shaped or influenced by God, we end up in a place we don't want to be. When you open yourself up to human reasoning, human rationale, human logic, you make mistakes. Because we are flawed. We are faulty. We are not right in everything we believe and everything we think. So that is why we must always submit it to God. What happens in human reasoning is that the theology becomes not about God, but it becomes about me. It becomes what we call meology. And meology is all about myself, and it's all about the lust of my flesh and making sure that my pleasures get met. That is what happens. We take our desires of our mind the lust of our flesh and the things that satisfy us, the things that we agree with, those are the things that we, we, we create as a part of our meology. If it doesn't agree with my pleasures and if it doesn't agree with the lust of my flesh, then I actually reject it. The problem with this is that we end up mistaken, we end up wrong, we end up one degree off and then years later, we're many degrees off. This is what happened to this nation when they disobeyed God, right back with Solomon, What was Solomon's main area of disobedience? God said to him, do not marry the daughters of pagan nations. But he did it anyway. He married these daughters and then their places of worship became Solomon's places of worship, which then became Israel's places of worship. Do you see how that happens? Because what happens in the head, so it is in the body. What happens in the top levels flows down through into the rest of us. God is a jealous God. Do you know that? He doesn't sit back and say to you, you know what, you can have that little bit of of worship, you can have that little bit of idol worship there. No, 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 he says, I get all the worship and that is how God has done it. That is what God deserves. See, Paul, the Apostle Paul says to us that we are living sacrifices. You are a living sacrifice. How many of you know that following Jesus costs you everything? Three. Three people. Okay, this is news for the rest of you then. Following Jesus is everything. It is not 90% of your life. It is not 50% of your life. It is not 10% of your life. It costs you everything. If you cannot tell me that following Jesus has been the hardest thing you've ever done, I want to question how do you follow Him? It is not a cakewalk. It is not something that we do easily. It costs us. We have to give things up. And you know what else? Sometimes I don't want to give up the things He wants me to. Yeah? Anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, it's hard to follow Jesus. Is it the most glorious, wonderful thing you'll ever do? Absolutely. Is it hard? Damn straight. But you know what? If you're going to sit in, this, in church and you don't struggle with God asking you to give up things... are you listening? This is what happened to this nation. They gave into human reasoning and now they were being influenced by multiple lusts of the flesh. One of the things I hate when I hear people say, I don't feel like it. You know what, your feelings have nothing to do with it, sweetheart. It doesn't. I don't feel like serving God like that. Too bad, suck it up. Sure, Jesus didn't feel like hanging on the cross. You know, kind of, he sucked it up. One of the great challenges we have in this day and age is that people feel entitled. And they feel entitled to many things. And one of the things that I struggle the most with is that that they feel entitled to be understood. The problem with this is that that understood part is not under the influence of God. It's just all about the lust of your flesh. We have people... We have culture, and I'm talking about not just our, I'm not talking about our church personally, I'm talking about as a broad statement, okay? So please don't think I'm targeting you guys at all. But there are people now who have this drive to be understood. And so what they do is that they find people who think like them, who act like them, who talk like them, and it just becomes a complete and utter meology. Because I've got this wisdom about my lust of my flesh, and you had the same one, therefore we must be right. That is not how it works. So Elijah comes and he says to them, how long will you falter between two opinions? He doesn't say to them, we're gonna have a debate and discuss all of our opinions to come to the right one. He doesn't say that. What he says is, we need to have a showdown. We need to have a showdown because sometimes that's what we need. When your belief system has been shaped by your own human reasoning, it is so deeply entrenched in your beliefs, it's so deeply rooted in what you think and how you act in the way that you believe things and the things that you do. Do you know what happens? You have to have a showdown so that there can be a shock to your system and you can understand what it is that God's actually saying about it. Sometimes people get offended in church and you're offended and you leave here and you're so angry with what was said and you're mad about it and you're so frustrated that you go home and you write about it all over Facebook (laughs) the thing is if you'd actually let God speak to you you would realize that actually they went wrong and you are God uses offense when you're in this environment when you're in the church and you get offended by the preaching that's the grace of God to get you to change To get you to understand what it is that He's actually saying. Because too many Christians are listening to what is being said out there and not hearing what God is saying. And the whole thing, like, honestly, this whole drama that's happening in America concerns me. What concerns me is not what's happening in America because that's what God has decreed they're going to go through as a nation. What concerns me is the amount of Christians who jump on the bandwagon liking things on Facebook and I'm thinking to myself, you obviously don't know what God says about this because you just look like an idiot. And then stop telling people you're a Christian. You're making the job harder for the rest of us. Sorry. <laughs> that was my opinion. Not, uh, not what God said I should be speaking on. <laughs> Elijah says, we're going to take care of business right now. And so he says, there needs to be a showdown. Are you saying that God's going to come and send fire and consume us? No, that's not what I'm saying. But when someone has doubt and unbelief, when they have sickness and disease, you have two worlds vying for the champion. And when God shows up and when someone gets healed or someone has an encounter, X, Y, Z, all of the above, do you know what happens? That's a showdown. Because God's will is established, His principles are established in your life, and that sickness and that disease is made to leave. We have to, we have to have a shocking to culture. And what happened when this nation saw that God had answered and that Baal had not, they had a shock to their culture. And what was their reaction? The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. When you get offended, don't take it as I'm offended and I'm right and they're wrong, but you know what, go, okay, God, is this you trying to readdress me? Is this you correcting my thinking, my human reasoning? Is this you helping me to bring that under your presence? I've learned when I get offended in church by the preacher to actually stop and thank God and say, okay, God, what do I need to do with this? How How do I work my way through this? Because I find when I do that, to be perfectly honest, I've not yet had an occasion where I was the one who was right to be offended. Every time I've done this, it's come out actually I needed to change. I needed to recorrect what I was thinking. You need to submit things to God. The second thing that Elijah does is in verse 30. And it says, Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. He draws everyone's attention, the nation of Israel, the prophets of Baal, well, at least those who he hadn't executed, and all those people. And he draws their attention to the altar. Why did he do that? Because it was broken down. So what is an altar? Now, an altar in their days was vastly different to what an altar is in our day. See, everything changed at the cross. An altar for us is our, is our internal thing. This is not an altar. We talk about this being the altar. This is where we come and we perform an act of worship. But worship is done at the altar of our life, and the altar of our life, using symbolic language, is your heart, and it's the way that you think, and it's the way that you be, and it's the way that you are. An altar for them was actually a physical um, built thing. So what they would do is they, they would come along and he would, they would actually build, an altar. It was culturally normal. They, see, this nation was not that far from the different things that God had done and performed in their world. And every time God turned up and did something, do you know what they did? They built an altar. Why? Because this was your place of worship, that was your place of consecration, this is where you came to meet with Yahweh. So when they built these altars, they were memorial stones. Do you remember in, um, when Jesus was transfigured on the mount? and Peter says, let's build an altar, because that was the culturally normal, correct response. God turned out, we have to build an altar. That's what we're supposed to do. So here was this nation who would have walked through the breadth and width of their land, seeing memorial stones built for the different things that God had done, but they had forgotten. They were broken down. They had not taken the time to be there. This, coming to the altar, puts everything in correct perspective. Coming to the altar in your life puts everything where it should be because it puts it under God. It puts it under His influence. I want you to picture this entire nation has just watched the prophets of Baal be unsuccessful and Elijah now brings their attention back to the altar and he rebuilds it. He rebuilt it by taking the 12 stones of Israel that represent each tribe and what he was doing was he was reminding them that they had neglected their worship. They had neglected the true place where their affections needed to lie. They had neglected to come to God. They had actually neglected parts of their culture, and parts of their, um, the way of life. And he began at that moment to shift an entire nation. All human reasoning, all opinions, all rationale And all logic, must be placed at the foot of the cross. It must be placed at the altar. All of it needs to be brought to God so that he can shape it. If he's not shaping it, don't talk about it. If he's not shaping it, don't talk about it. You need to hear this because there are so many people, so many Christians giving out so many opinions and God's not talking about it. And the opinions you're giving are not actually influenced by God. They're things that you think God might say. They're things that you think God might do. I find it interesting. There's that story in I forget exactly where it is in the book of Luke, I think, and it talks about I oh know Mark, and it talks about the woman who comes and she breaks an alabaster jar over Jesus, and then you have one of the disciples is like, she should have taken that money because it was worth a year's salary. So we're talking like I don't know see. So say say $50,000, she could have given it to the poor. Now, because we know that story, we know the right thing to do was to break the alabaster jar over, over Jesus. If you didn't know that story, you'd be thinking Jesus likes to support the poor, so yeah, she should have sold that. But there was human reasoning coming into play. Because and because we know this story, and because it has been submitted to God before we heard this story, we actually understand the right thing to do was to break it over Jesus. So many of us respond to the world's cry for truth, but we're giving them our opinion. We're not responding to what it is that God wants us to say. You see, culture might be talking about it, the world might be talking about it, but is God talking about it? Are we just jumping on their bandwagon? What's God talking about? That's what we as Christians, that's what we as disciples, that's what we as followers of God should be talking about, not what the world's talking about. My question is this. Did that come from the altar of the Lord? When you're sharing your opinion about things all over Facebook, because that's generally where most of us do it, when you're having your little soapbox moment, is what you're saying come from the altar of the Lord? Did it come from your place of worship before the Lord? Did that come when you are in the presence of God and He was shaping your thoughts? Have you washed it through the Word? Have you seen if it lines up with what God says? If it didn't, then don't talk about it. At least not yet. If you want to talk about it, you need to place it before God. Get on your face. Pray. What does His Word say? What do the leaders over you say? What do great Christians in the world say? Don't just talk to your friend. What is the Holy Spirit saying? You see, we need to be speaking truth, but it needs to be God's truth, not the world's truth. We need to be speaking truth, and it needs to be the truth that He has given us, not what we're picking up from the world. When someone asks you a question, and you don't actually, you haven't submitted the answer to God, you don't know where God stands on it fully, what you need to do is say, actually, I have an opinion on that, but I'm going to go and talk to God about it, and I'll come back to you. Is that okay? Nine times out of ten, most people will be like, oh, okay. You know? But we have to do that. And I know that it can be really hard when the culture of this world is screaming in your face, put, pushing on peer pressure on you. The amount of Christians I see who crumble to peer pressure from this world is disturbing because it tells me that you have not shored up yourself with the Word of God. You have not got your altar built and you're not spending enough time there. If you have not gone to our place of worship, we end up with multiple opinions. We end up buying into the confusion that is this world. Various different things are being said at the moment about various different issues. Find out what God is saying, and we talk about that. We are not led by this world. We are not a part of it. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We are of the kingdom, and we talk about the things He tells us to talk about. My challenge to you today is are you in a place that you're gonna be continually shaped by God. Is God shaping the way you think? Or are you just sharing multiple opinions? Am I saying that we need to be silent? Absolutely not. But we need to make sure that what we're talking about is what God's saying. We need to rebuild that altar. You know what, when you say something that God is speaking, it can pierce through the hearts of men. It can change nations. It can change this world. There are people, godly Christian people, if you look over your history, who have had one conversation that changed the life of millions. One conversation is all you need if, it's, if it is spoken of by God. Your worldview must be shaped by God. But it must also be shaped multi-generationally. See, the construct, the framework of family is so vitally important to God. I don't know if you were here when I spoke on, you know, multiple generations about God being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is so important. You have to be getting your perspective from the people below you or under you generationally. You need to be getting it from your own generation, and you need to be getting it from the generation above. If you are only speaking to your own generation, you are actually handicapping yourself, you are handicapping your resources. If you don't believe that the younger generation can teach you something, you are missing out because they have a perspective on God and what God is doing in their life and for their generation that you can only get when you talk to them. You see, this is a church of multi-generations. We are a church that will freely express our love for God based on multiple generations' perspective of God. That's why sometimes the music's a little loud. That's why sometimes it's not as quiet as some of us would like. But why do we do that? Because we are a family. The enemy is working so hard to destroy that construct of family. And we are going to have to, as a people, as a church, fight against that by making sure that we talk to those generations. It's amazing what happens when we actually speak to one another and gain their perspective before we actually start voicing things. This week has been a week of breakthrough. And I pray and I hope that you had taken some time this week. I don't know how much fasting you did, what kind of fasting. I don't know how much praying you did. That's between you and God. It's not between me and you. But what I want us to do is to think about rebuilding those altars in our life. Rebuilding those altars. The world so desperately needs to hear God's truth. And I feel an urgency in my spirit that we need to get this right. I don't want us jumping on the bandwagon of what this world says, because we're just gonna add to the confusion and the noise of an already opinionated group of people. What we need is to make sure that our words are life-giving, that our words are truth. You need to make sure that you rebuild that altar, that you're looking for that breakthrough in your own life, but we're also looking for a breakthrough in this world. So I wanna take a moment, I I hope this didn't offend you Al, I don't know if it offended you, maybe you'll change. I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't want this to come on heavy, but what I wanted you to think about is what are you talking about? And is that what God's talking about? Have you rebuilt that altar? Is that altar in your life somewhere where you go continuously multiple times a day? Or is it something that you kind of maybe neglected because you life is busy. I get that. And this world is screaming all sorts of things at us at the moment. So what are you saying? What truth do you give? Make sure that your truth is His truth. Make sure that what you speak of are the things He talks of and that they're life-giving. So why don't you get to your feet and I'm just going to pray. Father, I thank You for these wonderful people for people, God, who are going to speak your truth in a very opinionated world, who are going to speak your truth, one truth, not multiple versions of the truth. I thank you, God, that we're a people who are going to have strongly built altars, altars that are not broken down, but altars, God, that are freely used and used often, altars that when people look at them will go, that is someone who follows Jesus that is someone who follows His Word. I thank you, God, for people who are crazy and passionately in love with you. I thank you, God, for people who are going to rise up in faith and do amazing exploits, who are going to do things that people in this community and this nation are going to begin to talk about because they are known as those crazy Christians. I thank you, God, for people who worship at the altar constantly speaking the truth of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. Come on people, let's clap!